Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I am. Let's go. Let's go to Los Angeles. The city of angels. Sunshine. This week we are doing the 1968 film, or shall I say flick, (laughs) called I Love You, Alice B. Tolkless. How had I never heard of it? I don't know how you had never heard of it. Yeah, how it would have been your favorite movie. Right up your alley. Although it was 68. 68, I was still in high school and I was very sheltered. Very, very sheltered. A successful but super square L.A. lawyer turns into a hip flower child. The particulars. I Love You, Alice B. Toklas was released wide in the United States on October 18th, 1968. It's directed by Hai Averback, who he acted in the Benny Goodman story and directed... Where were you when the lights went out and the great train rob and the bank the great bank robbery? It's written by Paul Moran's Paul Mazursky. Um, he wrote this and the monkey's pilot. He wrote and directed an unmarried woman, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice and Down and Out in Beverly Hills. It was also written by Larry Tucker, who also wrote the pilot and developed and came up with the monkeys TV show with Paul and also uh, wrote Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice and, and and acted in. I've never heard that said so boringly. (laughs) Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. (laughs) I get real nervous whenever I see a bunch of ampersands. For some reason, just ampersands make me nervous. And there's there's three of them staring at me every, every time. I want to be precise. Uh, Larry Tucker also acted in Advise and Consent. The music is by Elmer, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Sweet Smell of Success, The Magnificent Seven, etc., so on and so forth. Bernstein. Mm. He also did, you know, like Ghostbusters, Animal mm-hmm. House, so many movies. The director of photography is Philip H. Lanthrop. He did Touch of Evil, The Pink Panther, and They Shoot Horses, Don't They? Mm-hmm, I've seen all of those. The editor is Robert Jones, who did Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, and Days of Thunder. Oh. And, he won, and he won an Oscar for writing the screenplay for the film Coming Home. Oh, wildly talented man. Starring Peter Sellers as Harold Fine. (laughs) He was 43 in this film. He's an English actor, perhaps best known as playing Chief Inspector Clouseau in The Pink Panther. He's also in Being There, Dr. Strangelove, The Party, and he has one of my favorite performances is at the beginning of this film called After the Fox, where he's just hilarious in it. I'm a big Peter Sellers fan. That that man is just one of those people that he just cracks me up no matter what he does. He was born Richard Henry Sellers, but he was called Peter 
because that was the name of his older brother who was stillborn. Oh no, these people. Oh my God. Awkward. So many stories I could tell you. Oh man, okay. We have Joe Van Fleet as Mrs. Fine. She was in Cool Hand Luke, East of Eden, and okay at the gunfight at the OK Corral. Lee Taylor Lee Taylor Young as Nancy. This is her first film role. She was in the soap opera Peyton Place. She was in Soylent Green and The Big Bounce. We have Joyce Van Patten as Joyce. Remember her? She was in the Bad News Bears. Love she was her. also in The Falcon and the Snowman and St. Elmo's Fire. David Arkin, no relation to Adam and Alan. Allen. He was Herbie Fine. He was in All the President's Men, Bash, and The Long Goodbye. Herb Edelman as Murray. He was Stanley from The Golden Girls. There you go. That's, I kept going, I know him. Yeah. He was also in In Like Flint and The Odd Couple, and he was in so much television yeah. also. Yeah. Um, Salem Ludwig as Mr. Fine. He was in Heartburn, The Object of My Effect. Affection and I'm not a Rappaport. And Roy Glenn as George, the gas attendant. He was the father in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and was also in A Raisin in the Sun and Porgy and Bess. <gasps> and those are the particulars. We meet Harold Fine, an uptight lawyer who is dating Joyce, his secretary. She is desperate for a wedding date. He seems to not care at all. We then meet Herbie, Harold's brother, who is a hippie living in Venice, California, getting those homemade donuts. <laughs> those are who good. Who introduces uptight Harold to flower child Nancy. She bakes Harold some special brownies. What could go wrong? It was hard to do a, a beginning of this because it was all setting the table for the brownie scene, pretty much. Yeah. Felt like. yeah. So, so that is what I did. So we do, as Christine said, uh, after watching just a few minutes, have a lot of power cast. Oh, boy. We had two people of color. One was the gas station attendant and one was the absentee daughter. But she was a ca uh, character. The daughter well, who have... had run away with the... You have more? Yeah. I have around 19, maybe 20. I guess I don't see color. <laughs> well, we have the 11 members of the Rodriguez family. Oh, man, I'm sorry, Rodriguez's. We, there was a black woman in Venice. There was a black male police officer, although I, I, I did clock him as a POC. Um, there was the gas attendant, George. Yes. yes. There was five black people I counted at his apartment when he became an uh, all-out hippie. I apologize. Well, Thank hey, you, Aaron. sometimes it happens. You just get so caught up in the story. You're ju you just roll with it. 
Okay, so um, power of cast. Oh man. Oh my. I feel like it was Where an equal can. opportunity offender. Like yeah, it was for everybody. There yes. was no no one was safe here. Right. Right. Um, I mean, there was the first instance was, I don't remember who it was, but it was saying, oh, but he ran off. We're just so upset because he ran off San Francisco with a colored girl. Colored girl. Yeah. Yeah. We find out that the gas station attendant was also upset because his daughter ran off to San Francisco with a white boy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that goes both ways. Um. I mean, the, they did the Rodriguez family wrong. <laughs> uh, at every turn. Every Just, turn. Yeah. Then when they had them pull up in the car, all 11 of them together. Well, that um, was the whole thing was that they were 11, all 11 were in the car that got hit. That he was yeah. like suing. It reminds me of a joke Brendan once told, but we will move on. Bye. <laughs> Then they went for women. Oh, yes. Hardcore. I'd like to lick your lollies is one thing he said. Yes. And then he goes, they know they're driving you crazy and they love it. Just about how all these girls were dressed. Dressed just, for, so just for him. Raping was the term used. Yes. Yes. What? Raping? Mentally. Oh. Ah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, well, and then there was Herbie in his traditional Indian garb. However, I will say he seemed very genuine about his approach. Like he wasn't wearing it to mock. He really thought he really seemed that he was thought he was being respectful, but well, obviously we all know, but yeah. And what's his name? Harold was like, I can't be bringing Tonto into the cemetery. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was just, I mean, but just go, to go back with Herbie for a second, he's smart enough to uh, recognize a Hopi burial attire and to wear it, but he doesn't have enough self-awareness to realize that if no one around him, including us today watching like spanning times of all the eye eyeballs that are watching this, how many of us can accurately identify? Yes, that is in fact an appropriate Hopi, you know, burial attire. That's the reason why my man can't wear it. Yeah, yeah. It's like when um, I contacted the American Indian Museum about our paper bag vests, and I said, you know, that with that we. We're teaching them respect and everything, and they were like, "Now, if if they're wearing paper bag vests that are supposed to represent us, that is not okay." Yeah, mm -hmm. like you think that you're trying to help, but like here's here's a different pair of glasses. Now look at the situation, and you're like, "Oh, my bad, I got it." No, see, I knew it before yeah. I even contacted them. And then, mm -hmm. but also in the movie, I, I mean, do. 
are we do we even know like what are is anybody willing to bet that that is in fact authentic oh, i'm sure it's not no it's not <laughs> you know it couldn't okay it couldn't have been i'm just going out on a limb here because i did teach three regions of American Indians, first Americans, indigenous peoples. Hopi lived in the desert, New Mexico, Arizona area. Yeah, like in the Pueblo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that whole, his whole vest was made up of little seashells. Uh, so yeah, seashells so would not have been found there. Hmm. I'm just, I'm just going to go out on a limb on that one. Yeah. I'm just, and then also there's so many different within, because I'm reading a book about the rise and fall of the Comanches and just within the Comanches and how different the Comanches were from a lot of other indigenous tribes. And even within the Comanches, there were all these different bands and stuff. So it was just layers upon layers mm -hmm. upon layers. And it was just us outsiders going in of like, oh yeah, all y'all, this is what y'all do. And this represents you. <laughs> yeah. And then even, then we went for the LGBTQ community. Yes, finally. we did. And he's like, if you're going to hitchhike, just make sure it's from a lady and make sure she's not a dyke. Yes. Yep. As well as the man who came into the store and wanted to buy a dress. And yeah. e even Nancy Flowerchild was laughing at that. Yes, although no, it's, it's like wrong. She was, trying, she was just laughing at him. At, he was laughing at and he was, was trying to help him. She was yes, trying to she help was. her. She was. And he shouldn't be laughing. But, all, but a circumstance around his laughing was he was stoned out of his mind. Yeah. Right. But so yeah. I'm not excusing it. It's a bad beat either way and a power of cast. That, but he especially found that funny. And and we definitely leaned into the Jewish stereotype of the mother. Oh, I have I have stuff on that. Oh. Well, because I had come across an article a few months ago, and it's just something that like pops up. And so then when I saw the mother, and because the mother is played by Joy Van Vliet, mm -hmm. and I do not believe that Joy Van Vliet is Jewish. And Joyce Van Patten plays Joyce, and Joyce Van Patten isn't Jewish either, from what I could tell. So there's an I found an article by Sarah Seltzer called Hollywood's Whitewashing of Jewishness. It was, it was written for Time Magazine. The name of the article is First Mrs. Maisel, Now Joan Rivers, Why Hollywood's Jewish Women Are Rarely Played by Jewish Actors. And this article was all about recently and gave the examples of Catherine Hahn being cast to play Joan Rivers, Felicity Jones playing Ruth Bader Ginsburg, all of the Pfeifferman children in Transparent are played by non-Jewish actors, Bella Abzug and Betty Freeman were played by Margot Martindale and Tracy Almond mm -hmm. in Miss America, and Rachel Brosnahan is in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And so... Um, I, I think like Sarah Silverman has talked about it and she's said like, this isn't, she's like, it's not like on the, you know, the list of priorities and problems. It's not a huge issue or problem, but she, it is something that she's like taking into account and, and it's noticing it's mm -hmm. a noticeable trend. So in this article, Sarah Seltzer says, 
on one hand, acting is acting. It shouldn't require perfect alignment with the character you're playing. On the other hand, the fact that it keeps happening when Hollywood doesn't exactly suffer from a lack of Jewish actors mm-hmm. shows that something is off. It seems that the idea of letting an actual Jewish actress interpret a Jewish role is pushing a cultural boundary that we didn't realize was still there. Mm. And then the article goes on and it points out, like Sarah Silverman said that her features get her cast as a sassy um, best friend, like the traditional one dimensional roles. Um, but then she shut out from playing more juicier three dimensional Jewish parts. Quote, um, this is, this isn't quoting Sarah Silverman. This is quoting the article's author. And if a white actress with a vague ethnic vibe and some sass is enough to read to casting directors and producers as quote Jewish over and over again, we're not getting a chance to view the real diversity of Jewish women who come in all shapes, sizes, colors, and physical types. In fact, if you look at three famous Jewish actresses working today, Mila Kunis, Natalie Portman, and Tiffany Haddish, they are as different as can be. This flattening effect also subtly indicates that Jewish women aren't beautiful or compelling enough to be the center of their own stories, and that hurts. And so I was like, oh, man, that's always been a problem Mm -hmm. and an issue. Yep. Sarah Silverman would have been a great Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. But why is that the issue? Yeah. And and it's really interesting because um, it goes in of what it says about. I think that this is an interesting question because it isn't like with when we talk about POC and you know people of color and getting a chance. And a lot of that times that they say, well, it's because the people behind the scenes and the, the casting directors and the people making those aren't the ones, you know, the people making the films, they're making films that are reflecting themselves. They're not making. So that's why you don't see as many people of color traditionally cast in roles and, and the whole, you know, widening out and showing all these different types of people. But then with this, with the Jewishness, it's an interesting take because yeah. it's what are you saying about how you see yourselves? You know what I mean? So it's it's and what get, is being portrayed out there and how it that cuts both ways. Mm hmm. So it's just very interesting. And it it goes into reinforcing that white supremacy isn't upheld strictly by white people. You know, like the the whitewashing of of Jewishness, like they're saying in this article, you, you know, a lot of people who are in positions to make decisions in Hollywood are Jewish. And so what is that saying? Typically Jewish men. Right. Mm-hmm. So what is that saying about their view of Jewish women? Mm-hmm. And, and beauty and beauty mm-hmm. standards, the beauty standards that we all have been force fed and what that is reinforcing. Okay. Any other cast? I do. Um, so there is in his house, there was a super problematic, giant glowing yellow orb lamp. With uh, over-the-top Asian features and a conical hat. It was really bad. And Mm -hmm. then there was, like, other more subtle stuff. Like, uh, I think there was a giant 
golden fat Buddha stuck in there and just just real just taking culture from everywhere and just putting it in there at the flea market there was a nazi helmet yes yeah i had that in my battery heatables i saw i was like it says ss right like yeah funny did. how i can identify that but i can't identify a hopi traditional burial outfit <laughs> my final um cast is with George, the gas attendant, because she called him George. And I wondered, is George his real name? Or because remember when it with the uh, Pullman Carters, that Pullman Porters were called George after George Pullman, regardless of their real names as yeah. a throwback to slavery, when the enslaved were named after their owners. Mm -hmm. So that's why you have like the movie 10,000 Men Called George. So all Pullman Carters were called George. You're going to tell me that that just stopped at Pullman Carters? So I wondered, yeah. I was like, I really hope oh, that man's point. name is George. Good point. Wow. I have one too. Yes, please. Mine's a more silly one. But... You know, good and well, none of those people would have eaten those brownies if they knew they had weed in them. Yeah. Because they would not have been associated with stoners. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, exactly. Mm, and they and, had the time of their life. Yeah. <laughs> and just the way that they, and it's just the movie, but that they portrayed hippie culture. Right. Yeah. Not right. that I was alive for that, but you know, I imagine it was not <laughs> all like that. Let's no. go live to our live on the ground. Yes, you were there. Yeah, our um, our reporter, I our eyewitness, eyewitness. What was the hippie culture of Southern Ohio? <laughs> See, I didn't know the hippie culture of Southern Ohio. I knew you the hippie culture of of Northern Kentucky. <laughs> Northern mountainous Kentucky, the hippie culture. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, I don't think that the brownies would have made them, it, they aren't like an aphrodisiac. Like, yeah, that was weird. And it like was, was immediate. It yeah, was like, yeah. They took one bite and it was like, oh, I can't stop eating. <laughs> I can't stop eating and I can't stop looking at uh, entertaining something to something entertaining to watch. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So yes, they took every single thing to the nth degree. But that was, I'll just do my LVP now, I guess, because that was my LVP. And I read an article from Roger from Ebert. What's his name, Roger? But yeah, yes. got it. <laughs> um and he said, unfortunately, the movie's general approach to hippiedom is what we've come to dread. Hippies wear funny clothes, sleep on the stove, don't wash, read the Los Angeles free press, bake pot brownies, put up posters everywhere, and operate with a sort of mindless, directionless love ethic. So the movie becomes conventional after all. If they drop sellers into a real hippie culture, we might really have had a movie here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's I my LVP. Well done. Yeah, that's a good one because it it also it um it minimizes the things that the hippie culture was fighting for. And when exactly. we get into nerd alerts, you know, Vietnam War is raging, and these kids who are out here protesting against it, and 
wanting to get the civil rights bill passed and all of this other stuff. They're just reducing y'all down to a bunch of just clowns, aimless clowns who just sleep on stoves. Yes. Yes. Have no moral compass. Well, we are to nerd alerts. All right. So nerd alerts. It This came out in October of 1968. So 1968. Oh, my God. There is so much stuff that I had to leave out because if you if you ever feel like, oh, man, 2021, just bad news, bad news. Just pull up the 1968 Wikipedia and just start reading what happened that year. (laughs) My God, it'll make you like, oh, shit's been fucked up for a while now. Yes. So you had the Vietnam War. It started with the Tet Offensive in January. You had the High Mai Massacre. Then you had the Mai Lai Massacre. You had the famous photo of the Viet Song Kong soldier being executed that was photographed by Eddie Adams, and it won the 1969 Pulitzer Prize. So that's just being beamed into homes every night, right? With just Cronkite. Like, look what's going on. Look at all these bodies of uh, soldiers just being killed disproportionately people of color um madison square garden opens at its current location in new york city um people are taken to the streets and all sorts of civil rights protests just just always going through always stuff going down net the national education television uh channel aired the first episode of mr rogers neighborhood The Florida Education Association uh, had the first mass resignation of teachers to protest state funding of education. This is believed to be the first statewide teacher strike in America. And there they was, were against statewide funding? I don't know what they were. I, I didn't get what yeah, it was, okay, like okay. what side it may. I'm, I'm just fingers crossed hoping that it was that they wanted more. I. Just what I'm hoping. Okay, okay. Um, there was almost a, another revolution in France. Just, just, yeah. <laughs> just sprinkle that in. Like, shit's just popping off in France. It's been, like, I've come across that a bunch of times in nerd alerts in the years. of Apparently, France isn't nearly as stable as I guess I thought it was. It's just, <laughs> over That's the years. That's all those chateaus are Yeah. <laughs> Oh, guys, controversy. Mm-mm. White singer Petrula Clark, downtown. She touched Harry Belafonte affectionately on the arm, and this aired on NBC. Oh, my God. Scandal. Guys, what? And she was in to Sir With Love with Sidney Poitier. Oh, my gosh. All right. <clears throat> So then we have the end of March, Lyndon Bates Johnson, who just barely at the beginning of March um, won the New Hampshire primary because that shows how split the Democratic ticket was. Because of the war. Yeah, he announces in March that he's not running for re-election. Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., is assassinated on April 4th. On April 11th, LBJ signs the Civil Act, the Civil Rights Act of 1968. 
So just to kind of point out, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of reasons that went into that, but Martin Luther King had to get killed, and my man had to say he wasn't running for president again. So he didn't have, happen. yeah, he didn't need to have any votes or anything to in order for that to go through. Um, in June, Robert F. Kennedy is yes. assassinated. And um, Saddam Hussein becomes vice chairman of some revolutionary something or other in Iraq. So he starts popping up. We just got like just new cast members just popping up in 68. <laughs> but let's end it on a high note. The first Special Olympics were held. Yes. In 1968. Huh. Because of the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. The movies. <laughs> top, top five movies of 1968. Number five was Oliver. Number four was Bullet. Number three was The Odd Couple. Number two was 2001, A Space Odyssey. Oh. And the number one film uh, was Funny Girl. Oh, yes. And so then in the Oscars, now, now keep in mind that I said we have Bullet, Odd Couple, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Those were all the top like movies that people went to go see. Right. Here's the Oscar nominations for 1968. Romeo and Juliet, Rachel, Rachel, The Lion and the Winter, Funny Girl, and the winner for Best Picture, Oliver. So, 2001. Please, sir. Space Odyssey wasn't even. May I have some more? Yeah, so. No, it was too out there. Uh, Space Odyssey was too out there. That was, that just, uh. That was the old nerd alerts. Okay, any others, Christy? Um, I'll save mine for tasty nuggets, I think. I will allow that to happen. So we are to negative reheatables. We have gone through a list of them already. Yeah, all of um, the cast. So I'm going to go with Big ass cars. Now I understand that somebody in our um, in our family does enjoy a big ass Cadillac, but those cars, my God, how did they get around in New York City? I don't know. <clears throat> I, I, I... Um, glass elevators. I, I'm I'm not a, being a person who gets vertigo. Glass elevators are, are a nightmare to me. Her nemesis. <laughs> <clears throat> Hitchhiking. Yes, definitely. Especially as a, a woman. I think mm -hmm. anybody, but just... And in California, when there's all these serial killers that Ted going Bundy, around. I know. Um, wow, Peter Sellers didn't look like he'd have that much body hair. A lot. That was excessive. Yeah, that was the mother of the groom hat. I didn't <laughs> know I should have accessorized a little differently. Well, but you're anti hat, Ma. Well, because of the it's ginormous orb on the top of my <laughs> neck. Um, I have the Chinese lamp and I have the traditional burial regalia of the Hopi Indian. Those are my negatives. Um, I have that parking situation. Yes. Well, 
Actually, first I have the parking garage that he was in because those are scary. I don't like. I just don't like parking garages that have a lot of turns and like things like that. Also, he got lost on three. It was. It's only three level parking garage. His head would explode now. Yeah. yeah. Um, why would you want to get married on Thanksgiving? Like, I get that her parents got married on Thanksgiving, but like. Probably not a good tradition to follow. No, I don't think so. People don't want to come to your wedding. And then they were going to have 400 people there. Yeah, they're going to have a bunch of people. Um, The hearse drivers had to be... The hearse drivers striking at a funeral. <laughs> Somebody drive that poor casket. Um, it was I also had hitchhiking. And the quote that he said was, there, there are sex perverts driving in cars. He's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> not wrong. <laughs> I have, oh, he's, I don't even get this reference. I forgot to look it up. He's yelling at Joyce. It, it's at the beginning where the, you know, the cars double backed in or whatever. And he says, you think I'm an Arab or something? And I'm just like, I don't get the reference, but I know that that's a negative reheatable. Yeah. Yeah. I had written that down as well. Just, yeah. I don't oh. know how, what that has to do with the car situation. Yeah. I don't know. That went over my head. Life before cell phones. They have waited all day at that cemetery for the, just the cast, just, just out of hope of like, yeah. well, eventually They'll get to all of the different L.A. cemeteries and they'll eventually find us. Um, so that was just just out of my mind. Also, doing all of that navigating without navigation, just a map and going around to all the different cemeteries. Crazy. His walls of his apartment were so thin that he could hear her exhale. I mean... Yeah, that, that shows you the lack of insulation in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, Joyce complaining at the end about she tried to do basically what is online dating now. And she was just like, the, the numbers don't get that. Nah, they just don't get it. And I was like, just hold on, Joyce. The algorithms will get it right eventually. They just, they're just new at the math right now. Um. They just lightly glossed over the fact that Harold was in Korea. And so I, I'm thinking yeah. that but probably maybe his issue had something to do with PTSD. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, also, did this only I saw the trailer for this a couple of years ago and I, and I saw there was a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, and this was way better than the trailer and the 14% made it out to be. It's not by any means the greatest movie I've ever seen, but it it was serviceable. I it enjoyed had it. Moments. Yeah, I it made me laugh out loud a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, the whole time. So just like wow. Um. Yeah, those are those are my negative reheatables. Okay, so we are to positive reheatables. And uh, it doesn't appear that I wrote any down. 
<clears throat> it wasn't that I that I disliked it, but there wasn't something that just jumped out at me as, oh, that's a great reheatable. Just brownies just aren't a good reheatable for you? And you know what I was wondering? Because <laughs> back in the day, it's my understanding mm -hmm. that people weren't really good at grinding that up real well. Like there would be sticks and sticks and stuff in the brownies. So you knew that you were eating something with a little bit extra in there. You were not eating the right brownies. Yeah, you're it's supposed <clears throat> to you're supposed to um from what I have heard. I now I didn't look up the Alice B. Toklas brownie recipe, but oh, okay. Now, did she have, did, did she put it in the butter? Because that's what, like, you cook it into the butter and then not you actually, bake it in the butter. There's not actually a, a recipe for weed brownies. Right. Or, that's fake. It's fudge? Or it's just not yeah, there at all? Fudge. Fudge. Hers was fudge. And it has nothing to do with weed. It's just fudge. Oh, oh. really? Just a fudge recipe? Just a fudge huh. recipe. Now, wait a second. Now, because in... The early edition, the first edition, it didn't have, I don't know if it didn't have that recipe or if the recipe took out the sativa that was supposed to be put into it. Oh. And then in later recipes, it was put in, but I don't, I don't know. I forgot to look it it's up. Like, contrary to modern folklore, Tokus's cookbook doesn't actually contain a recipe for pot brownies. It does. Oh, it does, however, contain a recipe for hashish fudge. Okay, mm -hmm. she under cold desserts. It's the recipe the cookbook is best known for, but it does contain many other excellent dishes such as French onion soup. Oh. Here's an actual recipe. Um, now it says this is something anyone could rip whip up on a rainy day. It might provide an entertaining refreshment for a ladies bridge club. Or a chapter meeting of the DAR, whatever that is. good for warding off the common cold in a damp winter weather and is indeed more effective if taken in large quantities of hot mint tea. Euphoria and brilliant storms of laughter, ecstatic reveries and extension of one's personality on several simultaneous planes are to be complacently expected. Um, take one teaspoon black peppercorns, one whole nutmeg, four average sticks of cinnamon. Okay, what if you have above average? And one <laughs> teaspoon coriander. Pulverize them in a mortar. Mm, I got oh, that. Oh, you forgot right your mortar and pesto. I know. You're going to get it for Christmas. Okay, good. <laughs> you can wrap it up. Um, a handful of... A handful each of stoned dates, dried figs, shelled almonds and peanuts now we're getting expensive with all these different kinds of nuts chop mm -hmm. them and mix them together a bunch of cannabis sativa can be pulverized this a along bunch. With this, a bunch <laughs> a bunch we are not measuring we're measuring with your heart with this one <laughs> this along with the spices should be dusted over the mixed fruit and nuts kneaded and kneaded together about a cup of sugar dissolved in a big pat of butter Big um, rolled into a cake and cut into pieces or made into balls about the size of a walnut should be eaten with care. Two pieces are quite sufficient. So there's um, no chocolate in the fudge? No. It sounds awful. A, awful. Genu 
Oh, oh the dates and um, the figs. Oh, yeah. Dates and figs are delicious. That's the sweetness. And the texture of the fudge. Um, it actually sounds pretty healthy. It sounds vegan. Mm, there's butter. Well, except for the butter. I, okay, but I'm a. Oh, it's an animal product, but I mean, fine. I don't in my mind. I get it, but. but um, it says, obtaining the cannabis may present certain difficulties, but the variety known as cannabis sativa grows as a common weed, often unrecognized everywhere in Europe, Asia, and parts of Africa. Besides being cultivated as a crop for the manufacture of rope. And the Americas, while often discouraged, its cousin called cannabis indica has been observed even in city window boxes. It should be picked and dried as soon as it has gone to seed and while the plant is green. Hmm. There you have it. Yeah. My freshman year, uh, a guy gave me uh, a couple tomato plants to take care of, but they weren't tomato plants. And you took care of them? Mm -hmm. Until somebody said, Liz, those are not <laughs> tomato plants growing in your dorm room. And then we smash cut to me as a little kid and randomly my mom telling me, if some guy tells you to grow, here, take these plants, you do not take those plants. You never take plants from anybody that you only kind of know. <laughs> I always thought it was very weird and random. Like candy and strangers, but who's offering me plants? No one's ever offered me a plant. Well, you're ready if they do. And and I never took it. They said, Miss, Miss, would you like? No. Get, no plants. Get that sunflower away from me. I will not have it. Um, oh, so we're doing positive reheatables. That's right. Yes. Um, I loved when, what's the girl's name? The, the Our flower child? Nancy. Nancy. I love that she just wanted to go to the funeral just because she's never seen one. She said, I wanted to go because I've never been one to one before. But death can be a beautiful experience, and I want to experience everything that's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. To live life like that, man. Um, also, to not just cry. Like, I would be like, no, I'm going to cry more than the family members, and I've never met this man. <laughs> And then sure enough, I'd be like, like ma'am, excuse me, who, who are you? Why are you sobbing uncontrollably? Well, in the corner where all the, where they were kept hitchhiking, there was a bar, a pool hall named the Corner Pocket. That's oh, a yeah. Great name for a, a pool it hall. It is a great name. Put that down. It's going to be next to church supplies. Yeah. Yeah. We could take over a whole block. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we won't run into any trouble taking over our whole block. <laughs> I'm sure we won't either. Um, I liked the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I took a my favorite class and one of the only ones I remember in college. I was a music minor. <laughs> History minor. What the hell do you do with that? Clearly nothing useful. <laughs> um, but I took a class at summer school like a summer class called the psychedelic experience. And it was all about like music in the sixties. And my professor was so cool. He was blind and uh, he was hilarious. Like on our first day, he, we all came clearly he was blind and he was like, all right, raise your hand. If something, something, something and every, like everybody raised their hand. And he was like, I can't see you guys at all. <laughs> Um, but 
Good icebreaker. Uh, I don't his name, but that was it. Was just such a fun class, and it was all about how music from then, like you know, influenced other music. And we had our final project was to like pick a current band or musician and compare, like pick one from the '60s, and you had to draw the similarities. And oh, cool. Yeah, it's fun. Who did you pick? I think I did the Velvet Underground and the Flaming Lips. Oh, nice. Yeah. There's a good Velvet Underground documentary on Apple TV. Um, I loved her KitchenAid. That was uh, his. That's a question that I had. Sorry, yes, you're right. He had a brownie mix and that stand-up mixer. Yeah. He was, was ready just, for a cozy Friday night. It, it's well, just odd to me that a man would have that in 1968, just from what I've been conditioned to believe. I wonder if the house came furnished, including uh, the apartment came furnished, including uh, all appliances and dishware and stuff that like that. That used to be a thing? I would think. I wow. would think. It still is. Oh. Yeah. How, um, how the other half live? Yeah, I thought weed brownie night was fun. Yes, I did enjoy weed brownie <laughs> night. And then I put groovy was almost from my negatives, but I ended up deciding it was a positive. I wished halfway through that I had done tally marks of how many. I know, oh my god, groovy. Yeah, but. Yeah, it was. I, it sounds so lame now, but it it was in your. But well, you yeah. you would say it. You would say it genuinely. You would right. just be like, you would be listening to what Almond Brothers or something. And just be like, not yet, not groovy. yet, not in '68. Uh, sounds groovy. I might be watching the Monkeys TV show and say, "Wow, that was groovy." Have I can guarantee. Groovy, man. I can guarantee you that never came out of my parents' mouth. Groovy. Never. Well, I mean, look at the, some of the stupid shit people say today. Dead ass. Yeah. I, like that. And people say it for real. Yeah. Dead ass. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's just, yeah. No, I could not. Oh, that would make, that makes me laugh thinking about Grammy saying groovy. <laughs> Like I had a kid when I was forty. What's groovy? <laughs> and look at the kid it was. Erin, do you have positive reheatables? I do. I have the white guy and the black woman who ran off to San Francisco. Where's that movie? I wanted to just stop this movie, and I wanted Peter Sellers to become a detective. And I wanted to follow Who's that. So? You know, yeah. they were pissed that their families would, you know, they were like, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, and they yeah. left behind that car. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> to go to San Francisco. Oh, yeah. yeah that that would have right in in San Francisco. The lack of traffic on those Los Angeles streets. Uh, oh, my gosh. I wondered you if you could tell where they were, but everything is so built up now. It's so built up. You you kind of could. At one point, there was, um, uh, I think it, I don't know. It was one of the freeways I'm very familiar with because it had the exit. And I was looking, I was just like, what? 
I went, I looked to the left, I looked to the right, and I was like, that's all built up now. Because yeah. they were in the valley, and I was like, that's all built up. There were signs and stuff where you could kind of see. Some of the stuff was, like, Venice Beach was was weirdly very similar. <laughs> um, but, but not as many people. No, that was a thing, just not as many people. And just the cars, how there was just, like, there were always cars there, but just now it's just packed. The fact right. that they could even go around to all the different, because the first thing I thought was, they don't have maps or any communication. They're going to go around to all these different cemeteries in L.A. And I was like, that's going to take them two days. But no, they were able to do it because of just the lack of just traffic moving everywhere and stuff. Couldn't believe it. Um, and my final good reheatable, because I empathize with this, when he's on the beach, Harold's on the beach talking to the guru and he's just so tender footed. His <laughs> just little feetsies are just getting so so hurt when he's trying to try to gain some wisdom, but he can't because he's just he's little And you know that hurt. water was cold. That was oh, Malibu. So cold. Yep. So those are my good reheatables. So we are to quotables. And there were so there were many I didn't write down. I did write one that uh Christine alluded to. Um, how can you tell me how beautiful marriage is when you mentally rape every woman who passes by? Mm. Yeah. Um, make them stop playing the ego game. Oh, well, that's, I mean, that would just solve too many problems. Please, no sex in the office. <laughs> Yes, we're we're still having to say that. <laughs> and women are built for hurt. Oh, yes, I have that one too. Um, I also had Joyce said when she was trying to get what's his name, marry her. Mm. She said, "I'm th I'm 33 years old now, and that's not an easy thing for me to say." Yeah, because um, 33 and unmarried, yeah, it was. Yeah. A beautiful day for a funeral. Mars and Neptune are at the 10th angle. By tomorrow, Saturn starts ingressing into Aries. <laughs> uh, when he said, I realized that I'm a square. Uh, and then I had, what LSD clothes is he wearing? Oh, I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> I laughed so hard when she was like, what LSD clothes is he wearing? Oh, LSD clothes is, that's in my, that might, that's up there to me for quote of the year. <laughs> I had that, I had when the dad said, if Roosevelt was alive, you could buy a car for $89 because he got his car fixed for $89. And so in 1945, $89 was the equivalent of $172.07 in 1968. $89 in 1968, the equivalent today, $701.54 wow. inflation. Yeah, trickle-down economics. That's she turned my parents into junkies. Yeah. 
And when he says to the guru, I'm trying to stop trying, guru. Yes. <laughs> I was like, that's funny. Okay, we are to LVP. Christine, did you already do your LVP? Or I, did my, I did my LVP. Okay, good. Um, mine was all the slurs. Colored girl, 11 Hispanics, chickens in the car, gypsy, dyke, tanto, oh. Chinese lamp. Oh, wow. And, and more. There's a lot. My OVP, I, I gotta say, it's Joyce. She got left twice. And then I she was me still like, oh, Harold, come back to me. I know. Yeah. And just, just at the beginning when she was just working that hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you find out that she's his secretary. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, girl. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, but 9 to 5 hadn't come out yet, right? No, 9 to 5 was 1980. Yeah. Okay, we are to MVP. I have a runner-up. Mm-hmm. Peter Sellers' facial expressions. Well, that he didn't. He didn't have to say anything. He just had to look. Uh-huh. <laughs> but my real MVP is George, the gas station attendant, <laughs> turning it around on the white people. That's right. I'm upset because my beautiful daughter ran off with one of your white dudes. I and if if the white man if he didn't have blonde hair blue eyes George should be just incensed and he doesn't even have <laughs> blonde Hairy hair features oh what the heck unbelievable um my MVP was the song I love you Alice Pizza uh, and I you'd think I would have done some um, research on who did it or what but I didn't I just hey. went with it. It was so, it was so late 60s. Yeah. It was, it was just perfect. My MVP is Peter Sellers, because even though he does not play a very likable character in this film at all, he's just still is one of those people where his reactions to things just crack me up. Um, The film critic Elvis Mitchell said that Sellers was one of the few comic geniuses who was able to truly hide behind his characters, giving the audience no sense of what he was really like in his real life. He would just put on these guises and disguises, and yeah, he could do... And during the filming of this, he was not very likable. Yeah, probably... This is one of those guys where I'm probably not going to go in and, and read... I think the less I know about him, maybe the best. Also, because from as soon as I read that his name wasn't really Peter and then he went by that, the rest, I was like, this just shades, fills in a whole lot about this guy. Oh, like, oh, okay. You know how Poppy always makes the joke about somebody doesn't like you because you're not wearing the right color today? Yeah. That actually happened on the set of this. Yeah, he was a guy was wearing a member of the crew who wasn't that was off camera was wearing 
uh, the the production had to be shut down. Shooting had to stop because Peter Sellers said that that color was wrong. And he was apparently that man was very superstitious. And so then they had to take the crew member to the wardrobe department, get him in an appropriate color and come back and have shooting begin. Yeah. Damn. So, but remember, he's being called the name of his dead sibling. (laughs) Dead older sibling. Um, I just love the name Peter. (laughs) Who doesn't? I really did love Nancy's character, though. She she could have been so annoying, Mm -hmm. but she was just so genuine in, in her openness of everything. She was like the the um the footprint or the template for Cameron Diaz's character and there's something about Mary. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not very often you get a character that's just all good. Cuz even when he when she stayed with him in his apartment and they were in separate rooms and he was kind of trying not to be creepy but then being really creepy and like on my honor I promise then she was able to you know flip it around on him and be like don't worry I won't attack you you know and yeah and she was able to make brownies from a mix without doing any measuring and they yeah. came out but did too you much milk there was you, way too much milk and you too I was waiting for, she was just letting it, there was no no of the scooching in the sides. Oh, yeah. It didn't really look like she was mixing anything. No. There was no. none of the scooching in the yeah, sides. techniques. And no licking of the utensil, the spatula. Also, here's a hot take. Hot take. I didn't like how thin the brownies were sliced. And oh, like those were nice little narrow to fit on a, a, a saucer. Like, come on, give me a oh, drink. Out another plate. Because you weren't supposed to eat very many. Yeah, she was protecting people so that they <laughs> so that they were able to go and enjoy lunch on the beach instead of having to be put to bed. Hey, some people understand pickle questions and some it lays them out. So what kind of bread? What kind of cheese? Okay, we are to recasting, and I did one. I did one cast. Um, uh, and Christy? Oh, none for me today. Okay. My Nancy is Zendaya because uh, what other young black actress? She's my there? Nancy, too. <laughs> <laughs> because who else could it be? Because it had to be somebody who could be just so likable without being annoyingly likable. My Joyce is Naomi Harris. Okay. okay. My Harold is Damon Wayans. Oh, that would be the, good. Then we watched The Harder They Fall last night, and I thought Lakeish Stanfield could be Harold, too. So is that your cast? My cast. Done. I also watched The Harder They Fall last night. And so (laughs) my, I have Mr. Fine is Glenn Turman. I have Mrs. Fine as Jennifer Lewis. 
Oh, wow. So they get. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have I have Nancy as Zen- Zendaya. I have my Joyce is Regina Hall. Okay. And then my Harold is Regina King. Oh, wow. So I was like, oh, because I think that would be hilarious. That and also, would be hilarious. I was just watching Regina King, and I was like, man, I would like to see Regina King in a Wes Anderson film. And then I was like, man, I would see Regina King in any film. She's awesome. She is awesome. National treasure. Well done. Well, and that would that would be a whole new thing with Nancy, because Nancy could be involved with both of them. I know. But Nancy's a hippie. Right. They're all straight. They're st- it's still like the straight laced and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, tasty nuggets. Um, I don't, well, so I did uh, look into Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't know much about, I knew Gertrude Stein as a name. I didn't know Alice B. Toklas. I didn't either. But Gertrude Stein was an American novelist, poet, playwright, and art collector who was born in Pittsburgh but raised in Oakland. And then she moved to Paris in 1903 and stayed there forever. Um, well, until she died. At, in 1946. <laughs> and she's I mean, still I guess there. She's still there. She could be buried there. I didn't look into that. Um, she, in 1933, published... So Alice B. Toklas was her part, her life partner. Mm-hmm. And Alice B. Toklas was born in 1877. Wow. Um, and lived in San Francisco. And also her... She was born into a Polish Jewish middle-class family. Her paternal grandfather was a rabbi whose son, Fievel, moved to San Francisco in 1863. And I was like, remember that movie, Fievel? Fievel goes west. west. Yeah. Um, it was such a cute mouth. Yeah. But so... Alice moved five months after the devastating 1906 San Francisco earthquake. She was like, fuck this. I'm going to Paris. (laughs) And the day after she moved to Paris, she met Gertrude Stein. And then they had a relationship that lasted for four decades until Gertrude's death. I thought this was interesting. Together, they hosted a Paris salon, which I had to look up, which is a gathering of people held by an inspiring host where they amuse one another and increase their knowledge through conversation. Oh, we're like a um, salon. Base, yes, basically. <laughs> but some of the people that went to their salons were Ernest Hemingway, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Picasso, Ezra Pound, and Matisse. Damn. Oh. Go to their salon. Damn. And drink. Yeah, I, didn't well, uh, didn't more than one of those people die from alcohol? <laughs> like, probably. And, and I'm sure that they there were um, 
psychedelic drugs and such. I'm seeing a salon on our block. Yeah. You just have to find Um, a name for it. Maybe Alice B. Toklas Salon. There you go. Uh, Yeah, it could be like a speakeasy. But we could call it the salon. The Alice B. Toklas Salon. Uh, well, in 1933, Stein published a quasi-memoir of her Paris years called The Autobiography of Alice B. Toklas, written in the voice of her partner, Alice. It became a literary bestseller and vaulted Stein from the relative obscurity of the cult literature scene into the limelight of mainstream attention. Two quotes from her works have become widely known. Roses are roses are roses are rose. That was her. Mm-mm. And there is no there, there. There, there? Yeah. See, I'd always heard the name before, but I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. I always, pic- I realized that I pictured, when I heard Gertrude Stein, I pictured Gloria Steinem. Same. Mm-hmm. Two different uh... people. So I was, when they're seeing I Love You, Alice B. Tokos, and Gertrude Stein, I'm picturing the aviators of... <laughs> And I'm just like, huh, wow. Her books include QED, about a lesbian romantic affair involving several of Stein's friends. Um, Fernhurst, a fictional story about a love triangle, three lives, the making of Americans, and tender buttons. Um, but then her activities during World War II have been the subject of analysis and commentary. This is coming from Wikipedia. Uh-huh. As a Jew living in Nazi-occupied France, Stein may have only been able to sustain her lifestyle as an art collector and indeed to ensure her physical safety through the protection of the powerful Vichy government. Vichy. Yeah, yeah. Vichy, Vichy. And uh, the, a Vichy government official and Nazi collaborator, Bernard Fay. After the world war ended, Stein expressed admiration for another Nazi collaborator named Marshall Pitain. Pitain. So, Jeez. I mean, she was she had to, herself, I guess. She had to do the Jewish version of passing. Like, yeah. it's either this or death. Yeah. Oh. And I really love art. Um, so then Alice B. Toklas was... Uh, basically acted as Stein's confidant, lover, cook, secretary, muse, editor, critic, and general organizer. And she kind of remained a background figure until um, the autobiography of Alice B. Toklas came out that Stein wrote about her. Um, and I, W.G. Rogers, don't know who that is, but wrote and I guess wrote a memoir of the couple that he published in 1946 and said that Toklas was a little stooped, somewhat retiring and self-effacing. She doesn't sit in a chair. She hides in it. She doesn't look at you, but up at you. She is always standing just half a step outside the circle. She gives the appearance in short, not of a drudge, but of a poor relation. Someone invited to the wedding, but not to the wedding feast. I was like, damn. Okay. Um, And he said that before meeting Toklas, one knew about the tiny stature, the sandals, the mustache, and the eyes, but had not anticipated the enchantment of her speaking voice, like a viola at dusk. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you can see pictures of them online. It looks like they had a nice-looking poodle. (laughs) The important things. But they were... um, 
Yeah, you should look at some pictures of them. I I will. I, I saw it when you were like sandals, mustache, eyes. I was like, oh, this guy is painting a picture. And then I saw the picture. I'm like, and he painted it. He did. Well, I'll send you one with their poodle in it because that's really what's important. Nice. The only tasty nugget that I have is um, when they return the uh, hippie mobile because the cops pull them over and they said they need a smog device. And I was like, well, this is 1968. A smog device? So I had to look it up there. I just saw the picture. Okay. That's a nice poodle. Isn't it? It's a great. He did not mention the the severe bangs in that picture. So we lost Ma. She's she's out of it. She's down for the count. She's she's for some reason she's, her face she's is muted red. her mic so that we can't hear her laugh. But people want to hear the laughing. Otherwise, now she's crying. Now she's crying. She's taking off the glasses. <laughs> you can't mute the laughter. Oh, one cocktail too many today, guys. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. <sighs> oh, yeah. Wow. Hey. Well. So the, the smog device, because I was impressed. I was like, oh, this is California. In the 60s. Yes. It started in 1966. I, it actually goes back to 1959 that there was a law that required installation of exhaust devices for 1966 models being sold in California. So they, they, they have been on to it for a really long time trying to regulate these things. <laughs> What what is it exactly? Is it the I don't mustache? even know what she's laughing it, at. It's you, Ma. Is it the the whole package? It's and the dog looks like it has a great sense of humor. Um, the dog looks stoned. <laughs> well, he probably got into some of the fudge. I hope he is. Um, are you yes, finished? Guys, with your... I, I mean. I gotta say, it's one thing to have a mustache. Okay, women can have it. She has a Hitler stash. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was really trying to fit in. Wow. Time for her. And... But you know what? In all seriousness, they found each other, and that's a wonderful thing. The dog does look stoked. <laughs> <laughs> I think they look like a power couple. Look at those suits. Yeah. 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 I'm just, you shaved the sides, but just decided. <laughs> Maybe that's just how it grew. Exactly. You know what? Maybe. Exactly. How dare I? I, I yeah. Because I don't feel like that that was a priority of hers. So look at my Western stand beauty standards yeah. all clouding my vision. Exactly. Exactly. You know what? Nancy would not have laughed at that. Nancy would have just been happy that they were happy in love. Yeah, Nancy wouldn't be doing this, recording this podcast and editing it either. So, 
Okay, uh, Peter Sellers had a crush on Lee Taylor Young. What? I don't believe that. And this is her first movie? What? And at the time, she was married to Ryan O'Neal. Ryan (laughs) O'Neal? Did that come across? Yeah, I I totally apologize. Yeah, you you didn't mute the mic. I didn't know it was coming. <laughs> That's how she feels about Ryan O'Neal. But Ryan O'Neal was like, he. this is when he's prime hot stuff, Ryan oh, O'Neal. Oh, yeah, he was hot stuff. He was. The Peyton Place. Oh, yes. Paper Moon? Yes. Um, I guess Paper Moon hasn't happened yet. The The producers felt that it was too Jewish. And so they had the cantors who were cantering. Okay. You're trying. (laughs) Dubbed in English. They they were actually. (laughs) Oh, that's so out of sync. They were they were cantering in Hebrew. But they dubbed it into English so that it wasn't so extremely Jewish. Oh. Yeah. See the whitewashing of Jewishness. Yes. I know. Would that have mattered at all? I Not don't know. I wasn't around this. in the in the six in nineteen sixty-eight. I mean, you know, uh what's his face isn't Jewish, I don't think. Peter old Peter, old Richard, Richie. The film originally included interviews with Allen Ginsberg, who was a, a beat poet, and Timothy Leary, who was a counterculture guru, but Warner Brothers refused to release that version. So they had to cut those oh, interviews. They were, ta- they were talking too much truth. They were just dropping truth bombs left and right that the man didn't want getting out. And as you stated before, George was um, the father of Sidney Poitier and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And so that was like a tribute to that film by him playing someone whose black daughter ran away with a white dude. And the beach scenes were filmed in Malibu and Venice. Nice. So I believe that is I Love You, Alice B. Toklas, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, w- I would recommend it. it, was, it was I nice. enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun little movie. It was a fun yeah. movie. I mean, seeing uh, Peter Sellers go from dealing with that wig mm-hmm. <laughs> to dealing with all the hair. Yeah, because Peter Sellers is always a good time, unless evidently you work with him, but we didn't have to. We just <laughs> yeah, had to watch him. Yeah, to deal with him, then it's... Okay, next week's movie uh, is from 1964. Okay. 1964. Mm-hmm. It can be seen on Apple TV or Prime. 93 minutes. Ooh. Oh, that's and nice. I don't... We have a superstar that I superstar. don't think we've done before. Steve McQueen? We are not having Steve. Steve has no parts of this. A a superstar. Is there another hint? 1964. 
Superstar. Is, is it a uh, uh, the super, the, Yes, and this superstar female is toward the end of, coming up on the end of her career. This is That's a Poppy-recommended like... film for us. Oh, so it's coming into the twilight of this superstar's career. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? No, but one of the stars of that is in this. Uh, so it's either Betty Davis. Haven't we already done some Betty? We have done Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford. We Johnny do- Guitar. Straight Jacket. Straight Jacket? Now, it's S-T-R-A-I-T. Because there is a straight jacket, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T, about um, a man who uh, I think is uh, probably Pretending a gay to man. Be... Yeah. So don't <laughs> go it. to that one. Mm, I've never it... heard of this. Now, did you guys watch Dateline last? No. 2020 last night? No. No. Mm. So I well, have to watch 2020? No, but the adopted son left a hatchet in the back of his adopted mother's head. She mm. is an axe murderer in this movie. Oh. oh. Joan Crawford, Crawford is an axe, axe murderer. murderer in straight jackets. Wow. Because mm-hmm. I, okay, this will be good. Because unfortunately, when I think Joan Crawford, I picture Faye Dunaway going I crazy over wire hangers. Right. But you're going to have her going a little crazy with an axe. In 1964, I mean, what could go wrong? Right, ladies? Oh. A female axe murderer. I see no power of casting. Nothing to see here. No misogyny whatsoever. uh, Yeah, um, exactly. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of I Love You, Asby Topless. Yes. Shout out to Mr. Goldstein for the recommendation. Exactly. Oh, see? And then next week's is a recommendation. So we have a little male input here. We've got to put an end to this. (laughs) (laughs) Two weeks in a row, male input. Yeah, exactly. You know, when we open our salon, they can have one week a month. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Listeners, there you go. Whoa, bye. bye.